words are the tools of our trade, being able to persuade others, being able to explain to others, and being able to achieve the outcomes that clients are looking for. And it comes from the technical abilities, so working hard to, to have the technical skills, but then being able to apply them. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. Hello everyone, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm a future Clifford Chance trainee solicitor and the host of today's episode. Joining me today is Emma Matabalabu, Global Head of Global Financial Markets at Clifford Chance, who specialises in real estate finance, securitisation and all types of structured debt. During this episode, Emma explains what her role as Global Head of Global Financial Markets and Practicing Solicitor both involve, the global events impacting the global financial markets, and shares the details of one of the most memorable deals that she has advised on. Emma also talks about the key trends that aspiring commercial lawyers should keep abreast of, the key skills that aspiring Clever Chance solicitors should master ahead of their assessment day and training contract interviews, the top qualities of an exceptional trainee solicitor, and explains how successful commercial solicitors continuously win and retain business. Finally, Emma reveals the one piece of advice that she wants all future and current trainee solicitors to know and shares the highlights of her working week. So without further ado, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast, Emma. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. Lovely to meet you. I'm very happy to be here. Um, before we get started with the questions, I thought that we could play a uh, a little game of uh, two truths and a lie, the legal version. So I'm going to start off by giving three statements about the law. Uh, two will be true and one will be a lie and we'll re- reveal um, at the end what the correct answer is. Gosh, I'm a little bit nervous <laughs> about this. Let's go for it. Okay, so one, it is illegal to queue jump at tube stations in London. Okay. It's the Metropolitan Police Act 1839 states that it, that it is against the law to knock on a person's front door and then run off immediately after. Okay. Number three, it is illegal to die in Parliament. Gosh, okay. Um, three statements about the law, two are true and one is a lie. Great. Um, so we we tend to play this in our team, but they tend to be mainly about people's adventurous holidays rather than historic legal um, issues. So I'm going to go for the 1839 law being true. The more specific, the better I find on the okay. truths. Um, so between queue jumping and dying in Parliament, I mean, it does seem a little harsh to be um, in trouble with the law once you're dead, but it does sound like the, the slightly arcane thing that Parliament might have legislated for. So I think I'm going to say that queue jumping is not illegal. Okay. All right. We will reveal all at the end. 
Oh no, the suspense. <laughs> okay. So, Emma, you qualified into securitization and real estate finance at Clifford Chance, but you're also the global head of global financial markets. Now, we'll come back on to real estate finance and securitizations a little bit later on. But I was wondering if you could please explain what your role as global head of global financial markets involves. Great. Uh, Very happy to. Quite a lot of globals (laughs) in the title. So uh, effectively at Clever Chance, we have what we call an executive leadership group. So that's uh, in corporate terms, kind of like the board. So it's the the, the partners and some of our business professionals who set the direction of the firm. So global financial markets is one of our three main business units in the firm. So we have global financial markets, we have corporate and we have litigation and dispute resolution. And so I, I head that practice area, which forms roughly 40% of the firm by, by sort of revenues and, and head kind. And as suggested, it's, it's a global team. So that's roughly 230 partners and around 1,000 lawyers globally. Um, so it's a super, super interesting role. Um, financial markets covers a wealth of really interesting products. I like to think of it as a spectrum. So it goes from... Um, raising money in the capital markets through IPOs um, through to, to debt um, issuances by, by corporates and, and by banks through to all the structured products that we'll come on to talk about and then all of our lending products. So lending in relation to companies, but also in relation to other industry sectors in which we specialise. So for example, it would include asset finance, which is basically aviation, real estate finance, clues in the name, non-movable, um, infrastructure, energy, and fund finance. So there's a lot within that group, um, all of which sort of interlink. And then my job really is, as I say, to sort, sort of set, set the strategy for for GFM, um, to, and to set you know the firm strategy with the other members of our executive leadership group to look at fun jobs like promotions. So looking at who our partners are going to be in the future and helping to develop and bring them through to partnership and to look at also um, any areas of investment where we might want to grow as a firm. I'm responsible for financials. Um, And what else do I do? Those are the main jobs. I also have another hat, which is that I look after our bank sector. So on the client side, I'm responsible for a number of our relationships with, with bank clients. And that's really working with teams of relationship partners who are who are managing those those client relationships for us. And then finally, um, I am also proud to be our executive leadership group sponsor for Accelerate, which is our gender parity network. I must say, it's so impressive and inspiring listening to to what you do for Clifford Chance and and how you've made it, how you've helped contribute to make it the firm that it is. And it's such an amazing firm and you you have amazing people and you do amazing work. And yeah, listening to everything that you do to help, um, you know, the clients and and future trainees and the the current um, Fianna's and all, you know, all the support staff as well. It's just, exceptional like what you do to you know help develop this fantastic um business so yeah I just think it's really impressive and really inspiring um and thank you for explaining it so so well and um yeah it's uh inspiring I must say 
Well, I think I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I've been with the firm for 23 years and, you know, I'm very lucky to work with very talented, um, you know, colleagues. Um, so, yeah, every day is a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of new challenges. Um, but, yeah, generally speaking, it's fun. I mean, this is what impresses me about this is what I love about Clifford Chance so much. It's just a hub of talented people that inspire one and each other. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, becoming part of the team soon. Um, <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you could talk us through the day in a life of a Clifford Chance um, real estate finance lawyer and securitizations um, lawyer and why you decided to specialise in these practice areas. Sure. I mean, maybe I'll start with with why I ended up where yeah. I did, because back when I was a trainee, I had studied law with with French law. So I was lucky enough to spend some time in Paris as a student. And I've always wanted to you know, be part of a global firm. So Clifford Chance really appealed to me for that reason. And so when I was in Paris, I learned a little bit of Italian, you know, not a lot. But then I was really fortunate enough to spend time in our Rome office as a trainee for six months and which was obviously wonderful but funnily enough in Rome uh the work that we were doing at the time was securitization now back then uh, way back when in 1999 I didn't know, really know what securitization was I did know that the, the team of securitization lawyers worked incredibly hard and were quite famous for for long hours and late nights but um, nonetheless the lure of Rome persuaded me that it would be worth it would be worth having a go and it was a really good decision so my main advice to trainees and to everyone is to be open-minded about what you think you're going to enjoy, because I'm not sure that anyone really knows until they try it. Um, so I really enjoyed securitization work. It's quite structured. So there's a lot of there's a lot of law and there's a lot of structure involved. It's quite collaborative because you're effectively trying to help a company or, or a financial institution raise money secured over portfolios of financial assets. And uh, I quite enjoy the documentation. There's a capital markets aspect to it. So I really enjoyed my seat in Rome and I then qualified into the team in London as it was. And then fast forward through, you know, my career as an associate, working on lots of sort of landmark transactions, you know, deals of the year. We were very busy through the 2000s. It was a growing area um, right up until 20, 2007 many of your listeners may not really remember this because I, I now realize it's a long time ago but it was pretty formative for me because I was going through a new partner process at the time of the financial crisis which really impacted structured debt and securitization so when I came back as a new partner in 2008 um, the world and then in 2009 from maternity leave the world had changed a lot and I started to um, to do restructurings because finance lawyers when they're not doing new transactions may be restructuring old transactions which are in distress so I ended up restructuring a number of real estate loans which were the loans in the CMBS in the commercial mortgage-backed securitization structures that I'd worked on pre-crisis and so I morphed from being a securitization lawyer into a real estate finance lawyer and happily over the last decade or so I do a combination of the two and I've also been very active in buying and selling helping clients buy and sell and finance portfolios of assets so that would be loans which are performing loans or sometimes non-performing loans um, so that's been really 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 interesting. 
For the past four years, I have been very lucky in the sense that I have had the shoulders of friends and family to sob on and unfortunately for them to vent at whilst I have been under pressure and stress from university deadlines and whilst going through the gruelling process of training contract applications and interviews. They have been my unofficial therapists and during tough times have reminded me that there is always light at the end of the tunnel. But it's not always possible to rely on a friend or family member to help you through difficult times, especially if they are not trained therapists. And sometimes speaking to somebody outside of your family or friendship circle is a better option anyway. If you're going through stressful times, looking to improve the quality of your life, vent or need somebody to remove the weight of the world from your shoulders, BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's podcast, may be right for you. BetterHelp is the largest therapy platform in the world and it changes the way people approach their mental health and helps them tackle life's challenges by providing accessible and affordable care. The therapists at BetterHelp are qualified to help you through everything from daily stresses to anxiety, relationships, depression, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem and much more. After you sign up, BetterHelp will match you to a therapist who fits your objectives, preferences and the type of issues that you are dealing with. So whilst a friend or family member, aka an unofficial therapist, is great to speak to, therapists on BetterHelp include psychologists, family therapists, licensed clinical social workers and licensed professional counsellors. Visit www.betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off your first month. That's www.betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off of your first month. I know that I'm looking forward to using BetterHelp to help me get through the SQE when I start it next year. Well, thank you for sharing that, Emma. That was a really interesting career journey that you've had. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, having experience in in different areas, ones that you may not think that you know you may enjoy doing, is a, such a valuable thing to do. Um, so yeah, and God, going to Paris and Rome sounds just fantastic as well. Um, I've never been to Rome. Yeah, that, that definitely that was definitely a plus. And I think one of the things that you realize, you know, once you've been doing this for a while, not everyone's career is linear. And I think one of the in- things about law as a career is that obviously the markets change and evolve continuously and sometimes very rapidly uh, as does regulation and as as do the players as do the clients and so that's been a big that's been a big evolution in my career from you know a market which was predominantly bank-led in Europe prior to the financial crisis to the emergence of many more private equity funds and debt funds um, and and other types of capital who are much more prevalent today. So that's been a really, really interesting evolution. And I think it's it's quite interesting to sort of be, you know, having a front row seat to see that happening sort of in real time based on transactions and the work that we that we do. I I started this podcast, Emma, because I wanted, what me and my co-host did, I wanted to give um, aspiring lawyers the advice that they needed to make informed decisions to help them with their career. So although I 
I'm a real advocate for that. I also understand, because I myself haven't had a linear career journey into law, that um, taking different paths, ones that you wouldn't necessarily think are strategic decisions, are sometimes the right decisions because, you know, these weird and wonderful um, detours that you can take just make you become sometimes um, a lot more, well, eyes open to the world and, and new experiences can, you know, help you make the right decision in the end um so yeah I agree with what you're saying I think that's right and I'm always somewhat suspicious of people who have their whole map lives mapped out because life doesn't work that way so yeah I think I think there's lots of fortuitous um you know happenstance that happen along the way and you need to be open to that you need to make sure that you're alive to the opportunities I mean I come from a a farming background in rural northern Ireland so I had no idea what any of these um, disciplines where one, even even at university and I think for many many students it's not necessarily clear exactly what it means in practice and so I think there's a little bit of suck it and see um, you know give it a go see what you enjoy see what you're good at um, and, and you'll figure it out along the way. Thank you. Um, so Emma what is the most significant or perhaps memorable deal that you have advised on and what is the reason for your answer? Um, that's a tough one. There's a lot. A lot I'm of sure. Years. I might just give one because it's always good, I think, that to have something that people recognise. Um, so um, just going back to that period of the financial crisis, uh, 2007, I was working on a big, it was actually an infrastructure transaction, but it was a, a effectively what we call a whole business securitization of BAA, which at the time owned all of the airports in the UK. So Heathrow, Gatwick, Stansted, but also Edinburgh, Glasgow. There was a big group of airports all owned by, by BAA. And they had a lot of leverage finance and we were refinancing that through this big securitization issuance. And it was going to be wrapped by what we called monoline insurers. But basically during the course of this large transaction, many things happened. So first of all, um, you know, the financial crisis came along and many of these insurance companies, which were going to provide guarantees of the bonds, they were all downgraded. So suddenly, you know, these guarantees were worthless. The competition authority decided to break up um, BAA and require them to dispose of some of the airports because it was anti-competitive that they owned all the airports in the UK. And also they were going through a pricing review with their regulator. Um, and by the end of the transaction, I think we closed in 2008. I I think I was in hospital just having had my, my, my daughter, um, my second child by the end of the transaction. I think various clients got married or had children. It was this sort of long transaction that took about two and a half years and the world completely changed during the course of it, um, both on the professional and personal level. So so that's quite memorable um, for, for many reasons. Um, but it was, yeah, it was still a very interesting transaction. I can see why that is your answer, to be honest. I mean, what an incredible transaction to work on you know business that wants to own all the airports in the country and then to you know have that marked by all of these personal events as well I think the thing that one of the I think it was right at the end um or maybe it was just after closing they opened terminal five oh, yeah. that's one of the reasons 
they needed all this funding was for all the capital expenditure to build Terminal 5 and to then, you know, re redo the other terminals. And I remember really clearly that suddenly, you know, all this work and all this money that's gone into it and all the stress testing on the first day, the baggage didn't work. And there was like, you know, negative headlines for, for Purdy Throw on T5. Um, but it works pretty well now. I was I was in New York this week and Terminal 5 is, is working. You just know what now. I was about to say? <laughs> I'm going away for some winter sun next week and I'm flying from Terminal 5. So now when I go there, I'll be thinking of this transaction. So Emma, what global events are currently impacting or potentially, um, or have the potential to impact your client's business at the moment? Now, that's a big question. Obviously, at the moment, we seem to be in a a slight perma-crisis. So there's been so much going on in the world over the last couple of years that it's hard to know where to start. I mean, I guess we've come out of the pandemic and the pandemic still has a legacy in terms of the the, the level of government debt and sort of um, cash that's been injected into the system, um, followed by, of course, um, inflation and higher interest rates. So from my perspective, you know, looking across the financial markets, increased interest rates have completely changed the, the picture. We, we went through a period of you know, over a decade of, of money being effectively free to borrow, which is extremely unusual in historic terms. Um, but people kind of got used to it. So now to have interest rates back at, you know, not unusually high levels historically, but that's created a real shock to the system. And, and many of the businesses that are funding themselves through debt, um, you know, face a, a sharp price correction because, the amount that you would pay to buy a company or to buy, you know, to build infrastructure, to buy a property, all of that was predicated on a certain cost of debt. And now it's a lot more expensive. So that's had a really big impact. It's also had a big impact on the capital markets and the level of IPOs and, and, and debt issuance. So that's that's probably number one. But of course, we also have, you know, so much geopolitical noise in the world today um, with, with wars you know, unfortunately and sadly now both in Europe, in Ukraine, but also in the Middle East, you know, quite high geopolitical tension in other places. Next year is going to be a very interesting year for markets because we have elections, obviously the US being a really important one for the global financial order and potentially UK elections, but also elections in, in other countries around the globe. So so there's really a lot going on and what our clients you know, crave most is stability (laughs) and stability has been in short supply. So we're hoping that in 2024, there is a little bit more um, certainty around the outlook. Um, But based on what's been going on over the last five years, I wouldn't necessarily (laughs) predict certainty. Um, It seems it seems that we may we may be in for more surprises along the way. Thank you for sharing that. Um, would you say that those are the um, key business trends that aspiring solicitors should keep up to date with ahead of their training contracts interviews? Yeah, I mean, I think as global citizens, there are topics of interest to all of us. So, I mean, there's just lots of themes in, in the world today which are interesting and, and some of them are, are obviously concerning. So those are the themes that I think impact markets the most. I think the other big themes that obviously override most of what we do around technology and obviously at the moment, huge focus on the rise of AI and what that's going to mean for many businesses, including many of our clients' businesses, including the legal business itself. Uh, so tech is a really big 
global theme, as is, you know, sustainability and energy transition, you know, some of which has been accelerated by the conflict in Ukraine and, and the need to move away from fossil fuels. And, and that's all, all, all of those themes are having an impact on the sorts of transactional work and the sort of of um, contentious work that we see um, globally, actually. Thank you for sharing that as well. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of things, but it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, a number of them are, you know, interlinked with one another. Um, So, you know, they have that crossover. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, What about the key skills that aspiring um, Super Chance listeners should master ahead of their assessment day or training contract interviews? What are you looking for? What are we looking for? So I think everyone's unique, so you don't need to be the same as anyone else. But the core um, attributes that make successful trainees and, and good lawyers, I think it's intellectual curiosity. So it's really important. The academic side is really important in law. It's it's a it it's really about corralling a lot of information, a lot of structures, and being able to condense that into simple terms. So being able to explain things in simple terms to your clients, to your colleagues, is really important. And in order to be able to do that, you need the, the sort of intellectual ability to, to digest a lot of information and, and understand things readily. And then I think that ties into the second one, which is really that ability to communicate both orally and in writing. So that's really important because words are the tools of our trade. So being able to persuade others, being able to explain to others and being able to achieve the outcomes that clients are looking for, um, being able to instill trust and confidence in others. That's all really, really important. And it comes from the technical abilities. So working hard to to have the technical skills, but then being able to apply them in practice on, on a daily basis is really important. And the application also kind of blends into how we run matters. So, um, you know, in a law firm, you will tend to be working in teams. And so the client will also be a team. So if you think of yourself as a, the client and Clifford Chance being a single team. And in in my practice in, in global financial markets, very often it's transactional, which means that people are trying to achieve something, which, which is whether they're issuing a bond or or acquiring a company with 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 debt to a timeline. So being able to manage your time, being able to prioritize well, being able to, you know, be reliable, you know, to deliver. Um, fundamentally law is a service industry. So when we promise our clients that we will get them the documents by Thursday, then you know, being true to our word and delivering the documents is important. So it's really important to be able to deliver and so you will have balanced um you know essay deadlines as a student and and have different time commitments within school and within uh, life prior to to joining Clifford Chance but that's really important and then what else what have I missed I think I think communication being able to manage and and anticipate I, I really think that people who excel are able to anticipate um, so if you can foresee problems and you can solve them before they become problems, then you're much more valuable than people who can just present a problem without a solution. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Just going back to your point on um, intellectual curiosity and being able to explain um, complex issues in their simple 
you know, then simple terms. So when I was um, started off my, you know, uh, journey to, you know, securing a training contract, I was um, doing everything that I could to become commercially aware. And then in order to, um, you know, explain other you know, just mention complex issues simply. So what I did was create a um, a table which broke down all the commercial issues and legal issues um, and would read a FT article and then analyse it. And from... Well done, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I mean, it took a really long time to get my head wrapped around, you know, the... Um, the commercial world and be, to be able to do this um but making bullet points in in you know what an issue meant to shareholders or creditors that enabled me to ex- to you know explain it simply and concisely now that worked for me and i that's the advice i give to other people that are going through that um process now have you come across another way of doing it that has worked for you know trainee solicitors that have helped them become what able to be concise and explain you know complex issues simply um I I have I haven't got a particular method so so no but I think you know if you think about when you're you know really at school at university you know most of the subjects that you do whether it's law or non-law you will be absorbing lots of information and being able to write you know essays or be able to present that both in writing or orally so you know that that is good practice I think the commercial awareness is something that people always find more difficult because it's not necessarily what they have studied either at school or at university I think today there's a lot more available so the FT is it's great but also there's loads of podcasts. And, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that's interesting is in the news and is and is kind of freely available. And so thinking about that in terms of what it means for various types of business and having a sort of understanding of the macro, I think is really useful because it kind of puts it into context. How do you practice being articulate? Um I guess it is practice. So looking for opportunities in your studies to to present and to and to summarize and to try not to be, you know, long-winded and try to figure out what is what is the point. Um, you know, those are all good legal skills. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Emma. What are the top qualities of an exceptional first seat trainee? And do these differ to a third or fourth seat trainee? So I mean on this one. I don't know that there is a sort of top quality that changes over time. Interestingly, you know, for all of your listeners, the skills that we assess for the training contract interview are also the skills we assess for the for the lawyers when they become associates. So their appraisal and their feedback is based around the same core attributes. And actually, the same is true of the partners and the way that we look at them and the way that we look at, you know, the, the promotions. And so so the, the skills don't really change, but obviously you hone them as you go along. So we probably, you know, we understand that first seat trainees are new to the role. And so there's a, there's a big learning curve. Um, and so the sooner that people kind of get engaged, involved, ask questions, um, you know, the, the more quickly they can go up that learning curve. It's different for different people. So by the time you get to third or fourth seat, 
it's likely that you'll be more comfortable with the world of of work if you haven't had a job prior to joining the firm and that you'll have a, a better sense of the pace of of, of work um, so sometimes that's more challenging for first seaters but but yeah basically you'll um the, the skills are the same all the way through and I think some people can accelerate that learning curve more quickly than others depending on what they've done you know maybe before if they've got relevant work experience I think being as I said before, open, um, enthusiastic, willing to learn, you know, really getting stuck in is, is really the best way to create a good impression at the outset. And then, um, you know, really exceptional trainees um, quickly sort of get an understanding of both their role, but also the bigger picture. Because sometimes the way I think about it in the training contract is you can go from being sort of task oriented. So someone gives you a task, you go off and you complete the task and you deliver it back again. That's fine. And that's probably, you know, what you're being asked to do as a first seat trainee. But as you evolve towards qualification as a lawyer, then we're really expecting you to start to understand the evolution in my world of a transaction. So what needs, what comes next, you know, what your role is, how you can help others, you know, and, and actually being somewhat proactive, taking initiative and taking ownership of the transaction as a whole. That's what um, will kind of accelerate you. And, and then just being, as I said before, very reliable um, because you're, you're a core team member. And so other people will really appreciate your contribution if you're there and you're helping them, then, you know, that, that's obviously the goal yeah, so it's about being proactive rather than reactive and that in turn you know helps you to spot problems before they've even arisen so yeah thank you for that and you know I think that um all of these skills that you mentioned you know being organized a team player having great communication um and being reliable um you know I I think that um those are all exceptional skills to have so you know working on those and um really developing them through the training contract you know i i feel like it would um you know just really really help me develop as a lawyer so thank you very much for uh, giving those points emma um so how does a successful commercial solicitor win and retain business so this is a great question um and, and what I think is the most important thing is do a good job. So if you think about any services that you purchase, um, you're most likely to return and recommend to your friends any service that is high quality and that you, you like. So law is no different. You know, clients entrust us with important matters and, and you know, they, they pay a lot of money for the, the legal advice that they they instruct us on and so you know it's really really important to provide high quality work and that goes to all the themes that we've been discussing so you know legally and technically um high quality and also in terms of service delivery really looking after the clients and you know being their trusted advisor so that's how you win work and win repeat work because others will see that you know on most of our deals there are a lender and a borrower, for example. So each each client will have their own legal teams. And most markets in which we operate are relatively small, actually. So you you build a network and you you build a reputation 
relatively quickly in the area in which you you the, the sector or the area in which you specialize so so consistently doing good work is obviously the number one calling card of any of any lawyer and then you can add to that by obviously spending more time with clients and really building those relationships so the better you understand your clients and their needs um the better service you can provide and it's also a people business so all of our clients are you know working for large institutions but they're also individuals and so being able to help the clients you work with, whether it's explaining to a junior client how a particular provision works or whether it's providing, you know, really strategic advice to a senior leader within a, an organization, that's all based on them, you know, trusting um, your judgment and um, feeling that you've got their best interests at heart and you're, that you're really there for them through thick and thin. And often, you know, that could be you know, long nights and, and challenging, but then that that tends to create a bit of a bond, actually, <laughs> when, when everyone's in the... Yeah, I, I can imagine. No, I mean, I, I really like that answer as well, because, you know, it just, it goes to show that it's not just about um, the actual legal work. It's, it's so much more than that. As you said, you know, it's the legal, technical, how you deliver, the way you, your rapport with clients, it's everything that you do, you know, and and you mentioned as well reputation, um, and and that I to be honest, as I said, I really like this question, and it's a question that I I ask a lot of people that come onto the podcast, and something that continues to come up is, you know, your reputation is everything. So I I can understand that, you know, it's although it might be difficult at some times, you know, always giving 110% because, you know, we're all human beings at the end of the day and we get tired sometimes. But you could, um, you know, deliver a piece of work for somebody and, you know, at that point in time, not give, you know, 100%. And that person's first impressions of you are, you know, this person doesn't produce high quality work. And then that's your reputation then on the line. So I think that it's, yeah, it just really goes to show that giving 110% all the time is, is you know, it, you know, it's just part of the job and the quality of the work, um, you know, is, is in every sense, you know, your work, the legal, technical and how you deliver it, you know, it just has to be top quality all the time. And, and that is how I can see you win and retain business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we say, you know, global elite firms that's really that elite is is that quality in everything that we do both you know understanding the relevant industry and the sector in which the clients operate really understanding the legal and the technical structuring around all of that and delivering the advice in a way that is client friendly and I think we kind of pride ourselves as a firm on doing that in a in a human way as you say not being sort of super aggressive but you know just being partners to our clients and working with them to achieve their goals um so emma we're approaching the end of the interview i still have a couple more questions but um i i wanted to ask what would you like all future and current trainee solicitors to know (laughs) oh um what would i like everyone to know I, I this this one stumped me a little bit I'm afraid I mean I guess some of the themes that we've talked about and I guess knowing that they can ask questions maybe that's maybe a little bit of a simple answer but it's it's important to know that 
no one expects anyone to know everything. And, you know, one of the joys of this job is that you are constantly learning. And I am too. I've got a few articles in my bag for the weekend. You know, someone sent around a new case yesterday that may change things. So we're all learning all the time and no one has all of the answers. So I think be open, ask questions and seek to expand your knowledge I think that's really important and probably in any career right but in order to kind of get the most out of the opportunities presented to you you know be open ask questions maybe time them (laughs) maybe you know store them up for for an appropriate time but but do keep that mind open and inquiring I think thank you um so before we um well before I reveal what the one lie is of our two truths and a lie game um Emma what has it well for the listeners sake it today is Friday we're recording this on Friday the 1st of December it's just stopped snowing outside where I am anyway and so Emma what has been the highlight of this week for you Gosh, that's a big question. I tend to feel like I have, sometimes I have daily wins, you know, some days it's like, oh yeah, today's win is this. And, you know, some days it feels like you're going backwards instead of forwards. So it's, it's, it's every day for me. This week, what have I been up to? I was in our New York office on Monday and Tuesday, um, and I had a very good meeting with, with a very senior um, person and a client in New York. So that was probably the highlight, being able to arrange that meeting backed off an introduction from the client in Europe and and having them recommend me was was a nice personal highlight and then for 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 GFM for for my global practice group it's always um you know people winning new mandates um seeing new clients we had a great relationship meeting with um at the new GC of a major bank yesterday so that was that was really great yeah so I guess two highlights this week well Emma you were killing it honestly you're the highlights of your week are, you know, phenomenal, I must say. Um, so, okay, so let's go back on to the two truths and a lie. So I gave three statements and said it's legal to queue jump at a, uh, it's illegal to queue jump at a tube station in London. The Metropolitan Police Act states that it's against the law to knock on a person's front door and then run off immediately. And three, it is illegal to die in Parliament. Now, Emma, you said that queue jumping was the lie. So, I'm wrong. Well, I'm wrong. The Met- so the Metropolitan Police Act, 19, uh, 1839 um, that spoke about uh, knocking on people's door and running away. That is true. Okay, so that is, is I'm trying to think what way to do, which way to reveal this. <laughs> the big <laughs> how, to, how to reveal uh, as much suspense as possible. Um, <laughs> number one, as I said, was it's illegal to queue jump in um, tube stations in London. That is actually true as well. And he said oh. it was a lie. So it the it's illegal to die in Parliament, and that is actually false. And people, um, a lot of people think that's true, but it's not. Well, there okay. we go. Where you, you did well, you lied. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you. I was shocked when I heard it was illegal to queue jump in tubes. Yeah, but I might need to police that rule in future. <laughs> well, Emma, thank you so much for for joining us and for you know talking to us and explaining um you know your role at Clifford Chance and and explaining about the global financial markets and providing so many um 
providing so much advice to all aspiring lawyers about how to secure training contracts and how to become an exceptional lawyer. Um, you're inspiring, honestly. What you have done for the profession um, is, you know, as I said, inspiring and, and wonderful to watch. As a, you know, future trainee, to have somebody like yourself leading the way, um, you know, I just have to thank you for that. So anyway, yeah, thank you. And thank you for being a guest on the Chimai podcast. It's been awesome. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was absolutely a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed it. And uh, it was helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of the Jimmy Podcast. And we'll see you back again here next time. To hear more of the Student Lawyers Podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. Don't forget that if you're looking for a way to remove the weight of the world from your shoulders, the therapists at BetterHelp are qualified to help you through your daily stresses. Just visit www.betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off of your first month.